0: To me, as we come into the idea of Yoga Nidra, Yoga Nidra is all about transcending the limitations or actualizing your intentions. It's a really interesting concept and I loved when some of you were really honest and said, I don't know what Yoga Nidra is and I'm excited to be here. And I liked how some people were um, inferred that it was about um, meditation where you're relaxing into your true self, Um, exercise in accepting. Uh, the idea of connecting and cleansing, that was beautiful too, and surrendering into deep thought. There was great things that all of you had to say, and I want to preface this with, you know, as a teacher and as an instructor, what we have to offer are our ideas and our experiences, but as students, you have to really kind of create your wholeness and experience your teacher's path and find your voice through all of this. So I want you to take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt, right, and really find that there's lots of things that you can uh, believe and lots of things that you can experience as you go on your path of teaching. And um, so even though I'm saying these things to you and um, being the person in front of the room, I want you to experience this stuff on your own and then find out what you think it is for yourself and not from the handouts that I just am giving you for your tech. The idea of yoga nidra is uh, really a simple practice but it has tons of profound results. Let's think about the, the word itself of yoga. What does yoga mean to all of you? Community. Community. Huh? Awakening? Anybody? What's the definition of yoga? I mean, I think peace when I think yoga. Okay, peace. Union. Union, right? So the idea of yoga in and of itself, or yoga, is where you're joining together and creating balance, right? So you're creating union, harmony... To me, yoga is the art and the science and the physiology of the body mind connection. So it really is about creating wholeness. And when we put then the word with yoga, with nidra, what do you think nidra means without even reaching, reading the definition on your (laughs) sheet? Nighty night? Nidra? Nadi, nedi, nunca, nada in Spanish is nothing. Yeah. Uh, nidra itself means sleep. When you look in the Sanskrit uh, translation online. The idea of Yoga Nidra then is where it is a deep sleep. And I put down a lot of different bullet points here on your handout. And then I gave you tips on how to create a yoga nidra and then an example of a yoga nidra to read. So as we work today to transcend limitations and actualize our intentions, we're going to really experience a yoga nidra. So the entire time that we're together today, we are going to spend a lot of it laying down and relaxing, doing a physical body scan. So you came to the right tech because you're going to just hang out and I'm going to (laughs) talk. So it's good. Uh, The practice of Yoga Nidra is where you create a state of consciousness between waking and sleeping. It's like the going to sleep stage. Um, Sometimes when I tell kids or work with kids and we're doing something, I try to have them think of a doing nothing pose. Right? Right? This is like a going to sleep or doing nothing pose where you're creating space in your body and your mind to open up to the potential of what your inner resources have to really share with you. So you can listen to your voice, so you can listen to your heart. Uh, Yoga Nidra is a state in which the body is completely relaxed and the practitioner becomes systematically and increasingly aware of their inner world by following a set of verbal instructions. In some ways, this is almost like self-hypnosis. Has anybody ever done hypnosis? Hmm? It's kind of cool, but it's interesting because if Patanjali, as the Yoga Sutras came out, if Patanjali really was um, helping people get out of pain and suffering and find freedom, then The idea of self-hypnosis is very similar to that, right? We're trying to change or flip the switch in our mind so that we can get rid of the samskaras, the broken records, and really open up to our greatness, to our inner truth, to our light, to our brightness, our radiance. So the idea of practicing this is where you are aware of the inner body by following a set of verbal instructions and this state of consciousness is different from meditation in which concentration on a single focus is required how many people meditate oh how fantastic right meditation is a really hard thing cuz you're just letting the thoughts come and go but you're not getting focused upon it it's the idea of that single pointed focus of just following the breath when you're doing more of a yoga nidra you're um not really doing that same idea of concentration on a single focus you're actually remaining in a state of light pratyahara which is sense withdrawal light pratyahara with um their se- with your senses internalized so you're withdrawn but the hearing still connects you to the instructions or the process of what you're doing so you are in some ways a little bit thinking but it It's you're uh, subliminally taking in the words and allowing them to affect or help you to change or control what you're going to be doing. Whereas when you're meditating and you have that single-pointed focus, you're pretty much just in a space of open awareness where you've dropped in and tuned into yourself, but you're anchored in this more of a free space where you're not listening to things. You're just anchored into the breath. So then, when you're doing the the idea of yoga nidra and you're really practicing it, you're concentrating because you need to kind of hear the instructions. Cool. Yeah. A question. yeah. So, would you say there's a very subtle difference between shavasana and yoga nidra? Yes. Okay. Yes. Very similar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Shavasana to me, and this is just my personal ex- uh, 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 concept of it, and anybody can chime in if they want to. But the idea of Shavasana is that because we are alchemists of the practice and we're creating integration through the flow or your moving meditation, that what you're doing in Shavasana is you're allowing uh, more of a, because um, it's called corpse pose, right? So you're burning off anything that no longer serves you and you're allowing everything to integrate and become whole again. So your central nervous system has time and it's more of like a laying down mindfulness experience, but there's no guided meditation through your Shavasana. It's where you just let yourself come into that place, a single pointed focus, and you float on the bliss of the breath. So it feels more like uh, shavasana. Surrender to what just came before. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Yoganidra is a very, a little bit pointed, mindful, you're doing something. I mean, very subtle, mm-hmm. but you're doing something. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whereas shavasana, it's you're literally practicing corpse pose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the question here for background knowledge and benefits of Yoga Nidra. It says just lie down and do nothing with a question mark because it's kind of like you are lying down and doing nothing, but it isn't Shavasana. Shavasana is where you're integrating the practice and you're allowing your central nervous system to read the benefits. When you lie down in um, Yoga Nidra, you're combining an alert awareness and profound relaxation. So you're not just hanging out and integrating like you do in shavasana but you're um, doing soothing non-movement relaxation experience of a yoga sleep where it's a meditation that's guided. Mm -hmm. This is a really powerful technique and it's one of the easiest yoga practices to develop and maintain and incorporate into your life. There are tons and tons of videos and uh you know things on your um itunes where you can listen to podcasts or you can listen to a youtube station or you can listen to someone's soundcloud page where you can really figure out um uh how to follow along uh, with one of them even um has anybody do insight timer meditation timer they have yoga nidra practices on there that you can do as a mindful meditation practice but it's super easy and it's a great way to get your students engaged in the practice of meditation without making it scary or uncomfortable because they're still hearing your voice and your voice is still keeping one focused on a particular thing. It allows your unconscious mind to kind of open up to the breath. It allows you to peel away the layers. A lot of people feel this is a very therapeutic practice where you can um, kind of, uh, just like in hypnosis, let go of things that that are clinging to you that might not be yours but you just keep carrying them and it's weighing you down and making you feel unhappy or uncomfortable or depressed. This is a way to allow your unconscious mind to let go. The great thing about a yoga nidra is you can't really do it wrong. Right? And in the outline that I um, show you, um, you can create any kind of um, storyline based on the uh, format. It's really how you as a teacher wants to teach it. Yoga Nidra is among the deepest possible states of relaxation while still maintaining full consciousness. Um, What's interesting about this is that there's lots of studies going on right now, whether it helps people who are suffering from PTSD, you know, with war vets. Um, They're doing a lot of study in uh, nursing homes. They're doing studies even with, like, children who have suffered traumatic things. It's really been great to reduce tension and anxiety. And it's a wonderful way to kind of literally uncoil, right? Because we want to open up our energy channels so that they're not blocked. We want to create that freedom and liberation. And what is liberation in Sanskrit? Moksha. Freedom and liberation is defined in Sanskrit as moksha. And that is one of our main goals of the practice is to... um, find we let go of the poisons and the toxins and the broken records and the ruminating thoughts that sometimes bring us into the black hole of depressiveness and allow our practice to create integration and wholeness right to create yoga so that we are free and then in turn we can harness the pure potentiality of breath for greater good and more amazing things and to make our life more um, where we have santosha you know what santosha is so santosha is the idea of um, happiness or contentment. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard thing to do because we don't often see or hear people being content. Right? And this yoga nidra or even listening to something like this allows you to find contentment because you're reducing tension and anxiety. Yoga Nidra refers to conscious awareness of the deep sleep state and this is referred to as prajna. And prajna in Sanskrit, I gave you a definition here, is the highest and purest form of wisdom, intelligence, and understanding. So when you elevate yourself up through opening up the lines of communication in your body, you can get into and yogis didn't know about the science of the mind right and about the amygdala and how that's your animal brain and you're usually stuck in fight or flight when you're stressed out but that if you did yoga practices or mindful meditations or um, breathing exercises that you could be in the prefrontal cortex all they did was watch and see the process of the how yoga affected others And then they deduce that we have over 72,000 meridian lines of energy in our body called nadis, which now science is calling sen lines or reflexology points or um, uh, uh, the nervous system. But yogis didn't know that. They didn't have those kind of microscopes 5,000 years ago. And then when they opened up to this conscious awareness and all the lines of communication were free and liberated in the body, then they were able to get into the highest and purest form of wisdom, intelligence, and understanding. Prajna. It's a pretty word, isn't it? It's interesting because I was trying to give you a really good background and understanding of this, and the first kind of way or time that Yoga Nidra was kind of um, showed up in in the Indian philosophy or Eastern philosophy is that Krishna is often associated with Yoga Nidra in the epic Mahabharata. So there's great stories um, uh, that are Upanishads. It's almost like Aesop's fables or stories that give you really good ideas on how to... um, Uh, use yogic philosophy in everyday life you know and these stories of the Mahabharata that's where Krishna is associated with Yoga Nidra so it's over 2500 years old these stories which just turn out to be like you know um, moral precepts or uh, you know ethical ways of doing no harm you know same thing as the Golden Rules or the Ten Commandments or whatever you know, religious background you come from and you believe in. Uh, focused attention and abiding trust in the process, unconsciously held obstructions and energetic blockages are released. So that's a pretty huge thing because um, if you believe that yoga is based upon energies... When these 72,000 meridian lines of energy intersect, that's what yogis call the chakras. So the chakras, in and of itself, have a whole, they're fraught with history and significance. And, you know, people just study the chakras, people just um, use a lot of energetic things to help to heal their bodies. You can go to an energy healer or a shaman or um, someone who does like, um, a stone massage right and they put crystals on you but there's all kinds of different ways to um, get rid of the unconsciously held obstructions and energetic blockages in your body even a moving meditation because people like to move that's a great way even through a vinyasa practice, to help people to start to let go of things that they no longer need in their body or is obstructing their path or they can't get past it. But they have noticed through the studies of Yoga Nidra how this focused attention and trusting in the process allows you to release energetic blockages. A lot of people, as I've been mentioning it before, compared to hypnosis... It this reduced stress leads to a profound sense of joy where you create a lot of connections and integration uh, in your body-mind um, that allows you to pre- be yoga, to be whole again. You're all like, yeah, awesome. I'm super excited. Okay, that's great. Want to know how to create a yoga nidra? Well, get really excited because it's right here on your sheet that I'm (laughs) handing out to you. (laughs) One of the first things that you wanna do when you create a yoga nidra is uh, um, to allow yourself to set up um, by sitting comfortably. So a lot of people um, like to lay down and use bolsters and prop themselves up and feel really safe. You could teach this in a chair yoga class. You could teach this in a school room where a kid's at the desk and they do one potato two, and they put their forehead on the desk um, and they just fog up the desk with their breath and they allow them to close the eyes and they can sit there at the school desk. You could even do this on a boat or in a hammock. It doesn't matter where you do it. A lot of times I like to play like a yoga nidra or some mindful meditation and sit on the deck and lay out on my yoga mat and just feel the warmth of the sun as I do a visualization? I don't know. Where are some of your favorite places to practice yoga nidra? I, I tried to... I, it wasn't yoga nidra at the time, but I tried to have um, a friend of mine who was super stressed, like before, yeah. uh, lay on a rock. And mm. It's a beautiful place. Uh, in Colorado and uh, it didn't work right all well because he was so like, you know he just couldn't relax so. he was so rigid in his yeah. body and mind yeah. but in nature would be a beautiful you know, place or mm-hmm. like right laying in the grass by the sea in bed you could even lay in bed and meditate in the morning or before you go to bed that's a great way to get a good night's sleep Uh, But you want to have a really comfortable place so that you can calm and soothe your entire body. And then in turn, you pretty much are allowing yourself to welcome the sounds, the sounds of an airplane, the sounds of a paper rustling, the sound of the breath, the inhales and the exhales. And even like what your taste is, maybe you just drank some watered down tea like I did, or you had some chocolate, or you just had lunch and you can kind of have like a sesame seed in your mouth still stuck. But you start to maybe create that whole body awareness where you allow yourself to um, uh, get more in tune. You can either have your eyes closed or your eyes open, but eyes closed works a little bit better because you truly are relaxed. And that's where it says you can even focus on color and light. One of my favorite um, meditation teachers always says, when you close your eyes, you see a lot of the like things in front of it, right? You see like the spots of the white and the black and the dark, but can you look into the darkest, dark point behind the eyelids? So that you're always using your words as a storyteller to really cue people to come into a deeper state of being and then once you set up this sense of relaxation starts to spread through your entire body and your mind right and our mind is so powerful because what your mind thinks your body gets totally wrapped up in it so if your body does something then we start to control the mind. So if we start to relax, then a stressed out mind starts to relax. And right now, our culture is suffering from anxiety and stress. And these practices are so awesome. And the amazing thing is that you have the opportunity as teachers to share this stuff. It's really cool. How many people like to be storytellers? Kind of, sort of, right? Maybe. Yeah? Well, this is an opportunity to put on a different thinking cap. How many of you like to journal? Okay. in you, journaling in the computer is good too. Like posting an Instagram post, I'm counting that as a journal experience. Okay? Social media has turned us all into bloggers and journalists. But if you are able to create an environment visually with your words, That's how the student is really going to be able to let go, to let good and goodness come into their body. And we all, by birthright, as we talked about this weekend, we are totally able and free from the day we're born. But something happens. Our diaphragms start working properly when we turn about five years old all of the shoulda, coulda, in the walls start to build up and we become a little bit more internalized. But yoga helps us to break free of those bonds and storytellers have a great way of enticing others to let go. So I want you to all after this maybe have an opportunity to start journaling, even if it's a paragraph or a sentence a day. There's even journal books where it's like, you, it's like all these years, but you just want write one line every day, and then every year you keep going through the same book. It's very interesting. Journaling doesn't have to be a big thing. If you're a drawer, you could draw, you know? But the idea of, as a teacher, you are a communicator, and your strongest tool is your voice. It's not going to be how good you adjust someone. It's not going to be how great your yoga pose is, but it's really going to be your voice and how you communicate things. Cool. I bet you all are really excited to lay down and just go through a visualization. So as we create space to allow relaxation to go through your body-mind connection, the first thing we really wanna focus on is to bring your heart's deepest desire. And this does not have to be this way, but a lot of times when you create space to set an intention, it really gives you more opportunity for health, well being, and awakening. And think about it if we're body mind isn't working together, right? And we're running around like chickens with our head cut off, basically we're disconnected. We have dis ease and we have disconnected people. But if we get rid of the dis, all of a sudden we have easeful creatures and connected people. Sounds good to me, right? So, as you bring your to mind your heart's desire, um, you allow that um, space for your entire body to imagine and experience it. And then we start to set the intention. When we reflect on your intention for your practice. It might be to relax. It might be for your heartfelt desire to really connect to deeper into that space. A lot of time what happens though is as a teacher, because you're reading out your intention to others, you're setting the stage, right? So your intention could be a sensation, an emotion, a belief, but it's something that you want for the students to welcome and affirm with their entire body and their mind. For me, a lot of times, it's easy to find a quote, or maybe it's seasonal, or maybe it's something that's happening in the world. Maybe it's something that is more familial, right? If you're really in a yogic place and you can do a lot of Sanskrit words, maybe it's a Sanskrit word where you're gonna just focus your whole class on moksha, on freedom. Or maybe you want to talk about anatomy and you're in um, a VA and you want people to feel like lightness in their knees because they're all amputees, but we still have those phantom feelings. You get what I'm saying? So, there's all kinds of different ways to set the intention, to create inquiry into a particular emotion or belief. Um, and your go to one is just relax, you know? Squeeze and let go. Do you always set the intention or do you let them do that? People can set their heartfelt intention for why they come to the mat, but because you're guiding through a yoga nidra, you really do have to create the space. You really do have to tell a story, or just keep it open and very calm. Okay, So your heartfelt desire is a little different than your intention? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because, It's interesting, Um, one of the most popular classes here is actually Yoga Nidra. And it's not people who practice yoga. They have a heartfelt intention and desire to find freedom in their body-mind. They're not coming here to move. They're coming here to let go of grief or anger or... Um, find more self-acceptance, you know, and, and that's a really brave thing to do. So I think that we all need to connect with our heartfelt desire to practice a yoga nidra. Is that? Yeah. Okay. And whatever the intention is that you create, you want to really welcome it and affirm it uh, in the invocation of your practice. As you begin to go deeper in, you want to create a safe haven within your body where you experience security, well-being, and calm. So you might need to imagine a place or a person um, that makes you feel secure and at ease within your body and have that sense of well-being. And then you want to re-experience this uh, inner resource during the practice that in turn can bring you into daily life that you can kind of refer back to it. Does that make sense? So you're creating something on the mat that you can then, um, when you're overwhelmed or have um, worried thoughts or feel anxious, that you can um, let that life circumstance kind of go, because you've conditioned yourself to feel secure and at ease on the mat, and then in turn, you can do that off the mat. It's very Buddhist. At the end of my practices, I always tell people that may the merits of your practice benefit all beings, right? Because in thought, in speech, and in action, we're doing things on the mat that we want to bring out into our daily lives, that we want to integrate and make us whole, so that we're really creating um, a a check-in for ourselves, you know? If I can create this feeling on the mat, then I should be able to recreate this feeling in my life. And we always use breath as our anchor because thoughts come and go like clouds in the sky, but your breathing keeps you solid and anchored in the moment. If that makes sense? Mm-hmm. It's always an interesting uh, thing to teach because people are always staring at you and I can not see the cogs in your head moving, but I can see the process. And I don't know if you're thinking about lunch or if you're thinking about like, oh, okay, this makes sense. So every once in a while, I'll just say, hey, Jess. Okay. But in really, what we're doing is um, we are teaching ourselves tools and coping strategies through whether it's yoga, a moving meditation, or a yoga nidra and that when you're setting the stage, you're teaching people that these resources are there anytime they want to when life circumstances get you down because they have a feeling that they've evoked on the mat that they can then bring back into their daily life. After you kind of allow space To feel secure and at ease and tap into their inner resources Um, and they learn that you have a safe haven within, you're going to teach them how to scan their body. And before I go into the scan the body segment, um, I also want you to kind of think about the fact that like uh, we are not therapists. We didn't go to school to be therapists. Uh, Maybe some of you are have your you know PhD or your LA blah 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 whatever there are <laughs> hey, all those cool things that you get when you, well, uh, you do you it took a long time yeah right? <laughs> no right but I don't know all the, like the names of the degrees so I'm not I'm not trying to make fun of it but yeah but remember that like as teachers if you do have that background you're in a much better space to be a healer and to be uh you know like guide some of these things. As a student, I mean, as a teacher teaching students, you have to remember you're, you're not a doctor. You just play one on TV. So you sound really cool maybe, but you don't know all the things. So you have to, if someone comes to you with a big issue or a big challenge, we can't hold space for that. They have to then go and see someone who, might be, who would be able to help them in a real way. Yeah. You know what was interesting though is that there's this thing that we do that I do and it's for trauma work. Uh-huh. And it there are lots of little protocols that you do with it and there's so many similarities to this particular series of things to that protocol. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, which has uh, got me got my wheels turning just so much. Mm-hmm. Um so mm-hmm. even if I mean I just it's going to be helpful no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's there are uncanny similarities to a lot of yoga therapeutic practices. Yeah. And but I just always want to like if you're not really certified cuz students will come and ask you all kinds of things after class. And we just have to be really humble and remember that we we're, we're not doctors. You are. <laughs> but we're not. <laughs> And we are doing things for the body. And we are doing things for the neurological system. And we are doing things for people's emotions. We just have to, there's a fine line that you don't want to cross. All right, so then when we go into the idea of scanning your body, and the simple yoga nidra that I'm going to read to you is a body scan. It's where you allow your awareness to go through your body. You can either start at the top of your head or at the bottom of your feet. But you're experiencing sensations in every part of your body so that it feels really radiant and bright. And if someone is disconnected or suffers from a dis-ease, then all of a sudden you're creating new awareness. Even saying breathe into your kneecap. Feel it float up um, like, what did I say today, like a, um, like a UFO. And all of a sudden you're like whoa because you have a new awareness of a body part that maybe you don't really even think about or honor (coughs) and that's pretty huge for people Um, you go through your entire body so that you can sense everything your torso your palms your um, hair on your head and you also want to cue when you're doing these scans experiencing the sensations, right? So it's not just like feel the bone in your leg but can you feel the muscle and the bone hugging each other in your leg, you know? That there's an engagement and an interacting and an exchange happening between the two. Often in between these body scans and always remember that you want to make a lot of comments about the breath, right? You want to make people be aware of the breath. Our breath is our best friend. It is literally a a reflection of you. If you're not breathing properly, you can tell because people look like this, right? And if you are breathing really deeply and calmly, it just creates ease in your face. People hold a lot of tension in their eyes and you, if you're not breathing, or if you're stressed out, your breathing becomes erratic and irregular and not as deep, and it's just really shallow. So the entire part of this practice of yoga nidra is really teaching how to be aware of your breath, how to observe the natural flow of the air through the nostrils, through your rib cage, how your belly rises and falls with each breath, Um, The idea of the energy and as it's coursing through your entire body Um, Breathing is a really interesting thing because when we breathe in and out through the mouth It sends cortisol production through our body when we breathe in and out through the nostrils. It sends serotonin the happy hormone but yeah, but when we cue breathing Sometimes people can't breathe in through their nose or out through their nose and they get really anxious right When you do an exhale through the mouth like a lion's roar like we do with kids yoga, and we open our mouth and we go it actually triggers the vagus nerve which triggers the parasympathetic nervous to calm down and when we breathe out through the mouth it is a way um, like a yawn It just allows you to create space and freedom and ease so that your parasympathetic nervous system doesn't go in the opposite direction and you go into a place of fight or flight. So you're welcome to cue in and out through the nose if you have more advanced practitioners. But if you have people who are um, a little bit more um, highly sensitive, feel like they're going to be super stressed out, let them breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. You just wanna make sure that you're doing a Durga breath. Do you all know what a Durga breath is? So Durga is a three-part breath. It's, it's from um, like, it's, um, it's an integral yoga technique where you're breathing belly, lungs, ribs, exhaling, ribs, lungs, belly. Because when people are in a state of fight or flight, they're only breathing about 30 to 40% of their breathing capacity. So our ultimate goal of our practice of yoga nidra, right, is to create this incredible state of calm where you're actualizing your intentions, where you're transcending liber- you know, um, limitations, where you're reducing stress and you're creating joy. That comes from having the three-part breath. Breathing into your back, cueing, breathing into their back heart, right? Cueing, breathing into their tailbone, feeling the floor move with you as you are supported. It's a very proprioceptic practice that allows you to just like, someone's got my back. I feel held, I feel supported. It's a great thing to do with people who are um, hyperactive, people who feel like the world is against them, people who are really stressed out, Laying down works much better a lot of times than sitting up. So when we're being aware of the breath, I want you to remember, you want to really sprinkle that stuff in there a lot. And observing the natural flow of the air through your body is important to really make people aware of how how, um, profound the breath is to healing. Mm -hmm. People don't really think about their breath as a healing mechanism. Mm -hmm. And then, without judging or trying to change anything, also allow your students to welcome feelings of tension and emotions of sadness or anger or things that arise as you're experiencing, hopefully, ease. So that you're allowing your body to let go of the worries and open up to a sense of serenity. And it's hard to not judge. And that kind of goes into the next thing is like our thoughts come and go like clouds in the sky. But sometimes what happens is when it's dark and cloudy, you don't see the rainbow or the sun that's kind of of poking through. We only see... The darkness and the cloud and you're like i just want to go back to bed and i don't feel happy and you're really allowing and welcoming the thoughts to come in but not become your thoughts because you're not your thoughts and that's a huge thing to cue as you're teaching these things or creating your story that a lot of times people judge themselves but our whole practice of yoga nidra is to practice ahimsa which is non-harming in thought, speech, and action. So we don't want to harm ourselves with our thoughts. We want to allow our thoughts to just float away. They're still there, but we don't have to cling to them and think that they are us. We can open up to different facets. Can I ask you a question? Mm. Um, have you ever had to handle or- suffering and they can't handle that going within because of some trauma or something? I mean, what, how would you deal with that? They usually fall asleep. Oh, okay. Their mind kind of, I'm not a doctor, I play one on TV. But um, a lot of times if people are really stressed out or disconnected, a lot of times in yoga nidras they fall asleep because their body just needs to relax. On a subconscious level, something's happening but they might just fall asleep. I mean, and people might get up out of your class and just walk away. But you can't own their stuff because we're not. He- we're not. He- yeah, it's not part of you. You know, there's enough in here that keeps people grounded into their body, mm-hmm. and so the chances of someone going away with trauma reduces, but it's not completely gone. But Keep, like, bringing someone back, if they've dissociated because of trauma, bringing them back into their body and into their space is is what needs to be done. So most of this brings them into their body already. So you're halfway there when I mean, you're doing that. Because it's grinding, right? It's yeah. super grinding, okay. right. So at the end of the, anything that we do is always get them back into their body or into their space. Yeah. That's great. hmm so to witness their thoughts, but not become the thoughts. And as you um, allow the sensations to move through you, you, always, I like to cue optimistic words to create more of a sunny disposition. So optimistic words like joy, well-being, bliss, uh, where you allow um, positive vibes to radiate through your body. Just different things that cue Um, a more elevated state, an elevated nature, uh, that we have to keep remembering that it is part of our practice is to feel uh, bountiful, beautiful, and blissful, and part of the reason we practice yoga, it's not the physical moves, but it's actually to get out of pain and suffering and find happiness and joy and healing through breath. And that harmony we're creating on the mat that people feel, they might see it just as a workout, but there's something happening subtly. And so those pod- positive words to guide you back to joy, to, bu- to guide you back to your true nature is what we're trying to do. And then in turn, you're observing yourself. You wanna be aware of um, you know, um, how you feel, those I-ness kind of things. And you're allowing um, to be the observer or the witness. And I think that when we get to the idea of pranayama, if anybody's studied pranayama or studied the breath ratio classes with me or breath work, is I always like to say, um, when we're practicing pranayama, we become the witness or the observer. Right, And in turn, this is what it's kind of teaching you to do is that you're witnessing or observing and you're just dissolving into consciousness. You're dissolving into awareness, you're allowing yourself to be awake, and you're conscious of the self. It's pretty cool. And then you allow yourself to reflect on your practice so that as you reflect on the journey, you can affirm how you're feeling. You can allow uh, the ability to feel this deep, unchanging peace that underlies every circumstance in your life. You are trying to um, use the reflection to show that both pleasant and difficult moments can um, happen, but you're always integrated and that you can reconnect with that sense of balance. Right? Within your heart, you carry a portable paradise, but a lot of times when you're really stressed out or when you're really negative or angry or anxious or worried, sometimes you don't uh, have that observer Or being the witness kind of a space, you just get caught up in the turmoil. And I guess the whole idea of yoga nidra is to allow you to find calm within the center of the storm. You have this wonderful yoga nidra that you've created to calm and soothe the whole body and then to finish you find a way after a little bit of reflection to transition back to this moment, where you come back into the um, surroundings, um, wherever you're doing your yoga practice, and you allow yourself to um, find sensation in your fingers and toes, maybe bend your knees, maybe sway a little bit from side to side, and then you roll. I always like to roll to the right side because it triggers the um, opening of the left nostril, so it opens up the right hemisphere of the brain, so it allows the more feminine and lunar qualities to kind of happen. Ease, compassion, creativity. And then you press yourself up, and you can have the students either have their eyes closed or their eyes open, and then say some kind of um, gratitude thing, whether it's placing both hands on top of your heart, or whether it's having the Anjali Mudra, where they hold the preciousness of their heart in their hands. But that you offer some way of honoring the experience, you know, and um, and and allowing that to uh, really represent um, that a positive message that you did something, you know, and that that you honor and are are humble to yourself, and then you. Everybody gets up and goes and has life and all that good stuff. Cool. So, that's basically how you would set the stage for um, creating a yoga nidra. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Can I quickly go back to what you mentioned that breathing in through your nose um, triggers serotonin, and then breathing out through your mouth releases cortisol? Yes, so if okay. you breathe in and out through your nose, in and out, it gives you serotonin, the happy hormone, okay. and it allows your parasympathetic nervous system to work. Okay. So when we're practicing yoga, we really try to breathe in and out through the nose. Yeah. yeah. And then when you breathe in and out through the mouth, like it's really good for pets to cool down, uh-huh. right? But for people, when it's it's like you're hyperventilating and you're sending cortisol through your system, and it's stressing you out. So our ultimate goal is to teach people how to breathe in and out through the nostrils. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. So this kind of going to sleep space uh, is simple, but it's really profound, and it allows you to reduce stress and create connections And it allows you to tap into that uh, prajna, your highest and purest form of wisdom. And you walk out of a class uh, just like a yoga class where you do a really taxing yoga class and you feel really integrated and whole, but you also feel like Wow, I like I'm all loopy, or I'm lightheaded, or I feel like I'm floating on air. It's the same thing that would do in a in a, a deep sleep or a mindful meditation, like um, yoga nidra. You really feel that your focused attention and allowing yourself to open up unconsciously has kind of gotten rid of some energy blockages. And then all of a sudden when all those obstructions are gone, and then you walk out into your real day and your world, you feel lighter, you feel more levity and elevated and more peaceful. Is there a minimum number of minutes for benefit? Nope. Yep. I mean the idea is to go through the whole body, hopefully whether you're cultivating seeds of mindfulness and planting something like a garden within you or you're going on a journey where you're on a sailboat, but that every part of your body gets the effect and that you aren't just, like, um, touching uh, the right elbow and the left foot and then it's over. Okay. hmm Yeah, that's a great question. Anybody else have a question? Um, so you can take them on a... Like a visualization journey mm-hmm. as long as the whole body each piece of it goes along with it correct because you're a storyteller right. Mm-hmm. Right. and in turn people will be more engaged mm-hmm. with the process mm-hmm. mm-hmm.